This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Nally. Our guest this week is Roger Johnson, president of the National Farmers Union. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative, the voice of milk. Learn more at voiceofmilk.com. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with National Farmers Union President Roger Johnson next. Edge provides dairy farmers in eight Midwestern states with a strong voice, the voice of milk in Congress, with customers, and within their communities. Edge is an energetic, progressive organization that represents all dairy farmers equally, recognizing both their differences and similarities. Now the number four dairy cooperative in the country in terms of amount of milk produced by its members, Edge is amplifying the voice of its farmers. Now more than ever, dairy farmers need to be heard. Learn more at voiceofmilk.com. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. From its beginning in 1902, the National Farmers Union has stood for a fair marketplace for farmers and ranchers. The group was instrumental in developing the nation's antitrust laws and supported global trade policy to open markets and protect farmers from foreign competition. National Farmers Union President Roger Johnson fears the effect of industry consolidation and Trump trade policy on a farm economy that's already in really tough shape. We've had five years in a row of declining net farm income. Net farm income is about half of what it was uh, in 2013. Uh, If you look at median net farm income across the country, half of all farmers above this line, half of all farmers below this line, the median line is about a negative $1,300. So that says more than half of all farmers in the U.S. uh, have a negative net farm income uh, number. Now that negative net net farm income itself Listeners should think of that as being sort of comparable to a salary. So if you've got a job, uh, whatever you're being paid for that job is kind of like what net farm income represents. It takes, you know, all of your revenues from sales and it deducts the cost of producing and, you know, it's, it's much more complicated than that. But as a, as a pretty good general measure, that's what it is. So, you know, if your salary's been cut in half in the last five years, you're probably not doing very well. We've seen an increase in suicides. We've seen increasing calls to hotlines all over the country. We just had a board committee meeting. Uh, Kansas, Nebraska, Oklahoma all reported record high, record high calls to their mediation or their farm stress hotlines. These are at levels that they were at in the 80s. So it's a tough economic environment out there. Uh, It's why we need a farm bill, uh, why we need it now. I think we're going to get it probably in the next week or so. If this bill looks a lot like the previous piece of legislation, do you think it's enough for agriculture today and can it come soon enough? Uh, it can come soon enough, and when it comes, it will not be enough. Now, one might say, well, then why are we supporting it? Because it's a whole lot better than not having a farm bill. Uh, and because I think what's going to be happening in this next year or two, unless things really turn around in a dramatic fashion, is we're going to see continued downward pressure on farm income, 
going to see continued stress, and there's going to have to be another initiative from Congress to try and deal with that. They're going to have to shore the safety net up more than what it is in this farm bill. Uh, it's going to be a, it, it would be a lot easier to do that if we already had a farm bill in place than if we were still haggling over the farm bill. So uh, this is just a really, really tough environment. Now, there are certainly pieces of this farm bill that, you know, I think that there are some pieces that are a, a real positive. I would say that conservation title sounds like it's going to be a real positive. If there's one area where we would disagree with where they're coming out, we would line up with Senator Grassley on payment limitations. Uh, If we just have the very largest farmers getting the very largest amounts of payments, uh, that really doesn't do much for the smaller folks. And so we think there needs to be more focus on trying to get these payments to where the needs really are. And we think there's a there's a public policy rationale for supporting farmers up to a certain level. But beyond that, you know, it's like, okay, you're kind of on your own. Uh, that likely is not going to happen in this farm bill. So, you know, we're going to have to try again in, in five years. Or if they do something in the next year or two, uh, we'll see how that plays out. Do you see a need for this Congress or this administration to provide some trade assistance dollars in 2019 as they have this year? Uh, I do. I, I would uh, I, I would point out, though, that the trade assistance money that came from USDA, and there's another tranche now that's just on the verge of being distributed, we argued from the beginning that that was kind of the wrong way to do it. Instead of taking it from CCC and doing this sort of on an ad hoc basis, this trade disruption is going to be long-term, so we think it ought to go into the farm bill. We would have taken all that money, moved it into a safety net, so there would have been much more predictability for farmers, not just for this year, but for next year. Now, I don't know whether the administration has said very clearly they're only going to do this this year, they're not going to do it again next year, but I believe there's going to have to be more assistance. And I hope that it's provided through Congress so that you can have hearings and you can have sort of a thoughtful approach on how it should be done. I think the administration made a pretty major miscalculation when they announced a penny a bushel on corn. The damage is clearly much more than that. I think if Congress are looking at this, they'd have come to a much different conclusion. Roger, how do you see agriculture faring in this new Congress, a mixed legislature, Senate Republican, House Democrat, and a Republican White House, and counting down to a new presidential election? Will you have a better ear on the Hill? You know, I kind of think so. I mean, one of the things that that I've learned in my years out here in Washington and even before that, because I used to be the egg commissioner in North Dakota and I was across the river from Colin Peterson's district in Minnesota. He has a lot of clout on the agriculture uh, committee and in the democratic caucus. And that happens because at least in recent times, it's been Nancy Pelosi who has been the leader of the Democrats. Uh, she has largely deferred to Colin on all things agriculture. And that is kind of the way it used to be 
some years ago, with respect to all the major standing committees in Congress, there was much more authority given to the chairs and the ranking members of these committees of jurisdiction, and they had a lot more latitude to kind of do what they thought made sense. I think we're going to see at least a modest return to that uh, with the Democrats in the House. Uh, I think we get better legislation if we have legislation that moves through on a bipartisan basis. And with the House Democrat, the Senate Senate, whatever legislation moves through is going to have to have some bipartisan support. The legislation just doesn't have any durability if it's passed by only one party. Just look at what's happening with this administration and all the executive orders that are rolling back all the executive orders of the previous administration. The reason that's happening is because in both administrations, you had Congress largely abdicating its responsibility, unable to move legislation, and so then that power moved to the executive branch. But the executive branch's power does not contain the ability to change law. It only has the ability to sort of to implement law through a different lens, if you will. And so they can make changes, but they can't make the big policy changes. And so as a consequence, you get these short-term changes that come from the administration. They get undone the next time you switch parties. Congress really needs to step up and do their job of legislating again. And I think you'll see it more likely to happen with a divided Congress if you can solve the bigger problem which we all know needs to be solved. And that's the problem of how can Congress and our political system itself, for that matter, get back to the point where they can actually work with one another and legislate on a bipartisan basis. Let's look ahead to 2019. The USMCA deal has been signed, and it is expected to be much of a challenge to see its approval on Capitol Hill. Will NFU support that and lobby for approval, or will you probably look for some changes in it? Well, we might do both. We haven't taken a position on it yet, and we likely will not until our convention in March, when our delegates have a chance to look at it. We clearly will be lobbying for changes. There will be a lot of folks lobbying for changes, and this is not going to be a new phenomenon. It happens in every trade deal that's ever happened in my lifetime. A, a president or administration negotiates it, goes to Congress. There are people that are upset about this provision or that provision, and they argue for changes. Oftentimes, it goes back, and uh, the administration renegotiates uh, parts of it. Uh, before it comes back to Congress. So this, you know, this could ping pong back and forth for some time. We do think that there ought to be uh, strong enforcement provisions. In a lot of places, this new uh, USMCA, some people call it NAFTA too, is not a lot different than NAFTA. Uh, and the, if NAFTA has a failing, it is that it had very weak enforcement provisions on things like environmental standards or labor standards 
these uh, and that has largely been result for uh, uh, or responsible for a lot of the jobs that have left this country and headed south because Mexico, while they agreed to raise wages and to strengthen their environmental standards, they largely didn't. And so you had an incentive for companies to go down there because everything was much cheaper. Uh, and the USMCA, uh, raised, uh, the labor standards fairly substantially. That's a very good thing because it'll begin to equalize, uh, that balance. Uh, but there, from what we can tell, there's really no enforcement provision. There's no requirement that the Mexican government make these changes. And so we'd like to see there to be some sort of an enforcement provision. That ought to be able to be put in place without sort of upsetting the whole deal. There are those kinds of things. So I would say that this agreement is a modest improvement over what NAFTA was, but it's not a wholesale change. I mean, the biggest thing for agriculture is probably the dairy piece. And you get, what, 3.5% increased access? That small increased access to the Canadian system isn't even going to be felt in our dairy system in any major way. So that's the biggest change that happened for agriculture. Anything else, they're just sort of little sort of nibbling around the edges kinds of things. So so we'll see. You know, we do need rules. We do need uh, trading that's based on rules. A lot of consternation in how the administration should have addressed the Chinese trade practices. How do you see the the president's course of action, and what do you hope for a result? I think the president has made a major, major mistake, a blunder in China. He's correct in diagnosing China as being a problem. There's no question. They lie, they cheat, they steal, they have not followed the rules of the WTO when they entered into the WTO at the beginning of this century. Uh, there was a presumption that they were going to change their whole economic system and become sort of a market-based economy. They did not. They have not. In fact, many would argue they've become even more um, sort of a state-owned enterprise kind of focused, communist, central government-controlled uh, kind of country than they were before. So they need to be dealt with. The way you deal with that is... This administration should have rallied the rest of the world against China, and they did not. In the fact, they did the opposite. And I think this is going to go down in history as a major, major mistake. We have picked fights with virtually every trading partner on earth. And there is, it's interesting, if you look at the WTO cases that are pending right now, You know, when the Trump administration put these tariffs on steel and aluminum, and then all these countries put retaliatory tariffs against the U.S. in response to that, the U.S. filed cases at the WTO saying those retaliatory tariffs are illegal. Well, all those other countries filed cases against the U.S. saying our initial steel and aluminum tariffs were illegal. The WTO is in the process of trying to sort that out. But what they have done 
is they've combined a bunch of these cases. So they now read sort of the U.S. versus the EU, Japan, Canada, uh, Korea, Mexico. The list goes on, 20-some different countries, including China. So the U.S. is alone in the world, and we've got the rest of the world sort of lined up with China. I mean, the optics on this could not be more horrible. I think the long-term damage to trade in this country is going to be very severe. I think our reputation has taken a major hit, and I think we're in for a long, long time of trying to dig out from under this. That's pretty harsh, but I don't know any other way to read this, Jeff. Roger, what are your thoughts about some consolidation and reorganization of the USDA, perhaps moving the ERS and NIFA out of Washington, and then rolling GYPSA into the Agriculture Marketing Service? The issues are very different. Our board met and unanimously opposed that. And it wasn't because there isn't support for doing more of these kinds of things out in the country. It was because there is very much a fear that this is an attempt to significantly reduce the number of scientists that are employed in these important agencies. And we're going to see a decrease in sort of the capacity, the credibility of what comes out of these research institutes. That's really, really important for the long-term future of the country. On the GYPSA, it's a different story. Uh, I met with the secretary, I met with the undersecretary, Greg Eibach, on this question. They know that Farmers Union does not support this move. Farmers Union was instrumental in creating this agency. And now they are basically wiping it out. Now they're moving the enforcement to AMS, but that's a marketing program. That's not an enforcement program that's supposed to protect competition. You almost have to look at this as an attempt to sort of de-emphasize the importance of uh, enforcing this law. And if you couple this with the fact that there were major budget cuts that were proposed by this administration to those agencies, you're left with really no other conclusion than that this is a just a major de-emphasis. If you look, too, at one of the early things that this administration did after they came in, they pulled back the farmer fair practices rules, which had been put in place to provide fair competition so that the smaller farmers had a chance of being treated fairly by the larger integrators. And, and, you know, there are a whole bunch of other issues in there. But the bottom line is those rules were all put in place to protect farmers who didn't have economic power from having that power exerted on them by large folks in the supply chain. So it's just another indication of this administration really de-emphasizing these kinds of things. We're just a few days away from the Department of Agriculture offering the regulations with regard to biotech disclosure, but yet we have another food labeling area that has surfaced, and that is how do you label meat that came from a lab as opposed to harvested from an animal? Where does the farmers' union stand on this? We stand pretty much where all the the meat industry is. Where we think they need to be differentiated. We have always supported aggressive truth and labeling uh, for consumers. Consumers have a right to know. They should know. 
if the meat is coming from an animal or if it's cell cultured, grown in a lab kind of stuff, it ought to be defined as such and labeled as such. Um, Now, just exactly how that looks, nobody knows. The government's a long ways away from sort of making that decision. But we stand very strongly on the side of the consumer should know with clear labeling. It's kind of where we were in country of origin labeling and where we still are in country of origin labeling. We think it ought to happen on all kinds of products. Uh, It's a consumer right to know issue. Roger Johnson, we want to thank you very much for taking time to spend with us on this edition of Open Mic. Roger, it is Open Mic, and you have the last word today. You know, there's one issue that we really haven't spent any time talking about, and I would argue it's probably the largest issue facing mankind, and that's climate change. I think there is an increasing amount of recognition and support for us addressing this, even in the U.S., I think it's a real shame that the U.S. is the only country in the world that's not a part of a worldwide effort to try to reduce greenhouse gas emissions to deal with this existential threat. There was a report recently released that indicated their projection was that the changes from climate change are going to overcome the sort of technological advances, breeding advances, et cetera, uh, that have happened in agriculture for in recent years, they're going to overcome them by 2050. And we will actually see the beginning of a decline in productivity in agriculture. Now, nobody knows for certain whether that's going to be the case. We do know for certain that the climate is changing and it's going to have profound effects. And we need to take this issue seriously. And if we design the the practices right, agriculture can be the hero. We can put the right kind of incentives in place. Agriculture is a net emitter of greenhouse gases today. But following the right kinds of practices, we can be a net carbon sink where we can be sucking greenhouse gases out of the atmosphere, putting them in the soil for long-term sequestration. We need to get those policies right. This doesn't have to be a regulatory regime. The rest of the world is moving there, and I would argue much of business is moving there. The U.S. government is far, far behind, and we need to catch up. Our thanks to Roger Johnson, president of the National Farmers Union, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative, the voice of milk. Learn more at voiceofmilk.com. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Alley.